de Calle Ocho for Fidel's death. Fidel Castro, Morte. Yeah, I drove. I drove here directly from Versailles, where I was waving a giant Cuban flag on I, on on Eighth Street. I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Feliz Castro Muerto. Yes, it's like a fucking holiday in in Miami, isn't it? Like like seriously, people celebrating in the streets. And young Cubans, it's nice to see young Cubans all excited about it. It's like the most exciting anticlimax in history, right? Because like now what? It's like he's been out of power for 10 years. So this fundamentally changes exactly nothing. So now, you know, I know people like it. When Hitler killed himself, it ended a world war. Like, but, but what does this actually accomplish? Unfortunately, people, well, it just increases people's happiness and <laughs> Cubans' happiness. Versailles selling a lot of cortaditos y empanadas and, y pastelitos. And yeah. banderas. What? Banderas, flags. Sure. <laughs> There's a guy, there was a guy on the street selling flags for a dollar, little Cuban flags for a dollar. And so my friend said to him, um, how did you get these like printed up? Like you got so many of them so printed fast. up so fast. He says, I did it eight years ago when the rumor came out that Castro had died. And then I left them in my fucking garage for eight years. Wow. And then wow. I finally dusted the boxes off and opened them up and was I selling always, them. I always wonder, like, you know, the minute the Bulls won, they had world championship T-shirts yeah. at every gas station. And I'm thinking, well, what if they didn't win? Does, <laughs> does the losing team also have T-shirts yes, printed out? they go to Haiti. True story. Or Africa. Or Africa. Yeah. You see kids and, and adults wearing these championship shirts. The wrong shirt? Yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's a real thing. They have to print them both just in case. Just in case. I mean, you got to you gotta make that money. I wonder <laughs> if they're wearing a Hillary Clinton presidential t-shirt in Africa right now. <laughs> why, why Africa? Everybody I know is wearing those around yeah. as they sob into their, in, into their shirts. It's, it's really... This year, what a shitty year this has been, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. We're coming yeah. on 2017. Unless you hate good music. 2016 <laughs> was a terrible, terrible year. I, did, I was looking at my... It was like a terrible year for hopes and dreams. I was looking at my bucket list. Because like everything you ever wanted to do... Do you have do, an app for your bucket list? And, yes. And thought was <laughs> what's, hot. The, what's the bucket list app? No, what's, it's just my notes. One? I just keep oh, okay. a, a running tally. It's not a bucket list app. It doesn't like connect to my... Like sync with my Fitbit or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like... Because everything you ever wanted to do or thought was possible... 2016 was like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, all like, so my bucket list, uh, whack Castro. I never got to do that. Kill Castro. <laughs> I never got to kill Castro. Well, you uh, could kill his brother if you want. I, I could, Raul. I could totally, like, you know how to change they that. They had the inaugurator, inaugur- what is that? Inauguration. In the inaugural flight to Cuba. Inaug- That's right. Well, which has always really been happening, but I guess that was the first, like, commercial. Like, everything else was considered, like, a private I was confused about flight. that, too. Yeah. I saw all these people on Instagram going to Cuba, and I'm like, but haven't we been able to been totally. going there? We've totally been doing that. Direct a movie with Alan Rickman and Gene Wilder. Sing a song with David Bowie, Prince, Natalie Cole, and Glenn Fry. (laughs) Not going to happen. Go down on the president in the Oval Office. But that was when I thought Hillary was going to win. So I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to have to wipe that orange off my lips. And then... um, but do you think he's orange in the crotch area too, though? I think, I, <laughs> do you think he's spray tans or real tans or? No, I don't think there's anything. Well, I think that color is not bulbs. That's not a tanning bed. 
with that color. He's definitely putting on the eye patches or the eye goggles he's going outside? and getting sprayed. No, no, he's oh. definitely. I'm saying. Well, I'm saying like <clears throat> when I see when you say real tan, I assumed you meant like tanning bed, like actual bulbs. Yeah, like tanning his skin. I don't think so. I think that is just stra- that you would color. Think with all that money, he could get a better ta- a spray tanner. I mean, he should get like Kim Kardashian spray tanner. <laughs> But I think it's like the emperor's new spray tan. Like everybody goes, oh, that looks great. And so he thinks he looks great, but he actually looks like a super orange, bro. <laughs> every time I see like his round face, I, th- I miss the orange bowl. Every time I see him, like that round <laughs> orange face. I'm since both of you live, I- I'm, I'm kind of curious about the whole situation. Um, last time I was in Florida, I went to Elian Gonzalez's uncle's house. <laughs> and they made a... Sh- they made a... Sh- they made a- it was a tourist thing to do. It's like I went to Parrot Jungle. I went to Elian Gonzalez's. I just like going to obscure places. I don't want to go like places the tourists want to go. So basically, <laughs> you could make a donation. I make. I paid him five bucks. You could literally go into the house in the main living room. There is shrine of his pictures and candles and things like that. Did you get to go in the closet? I went, where a pescador I, I, was holding him. I went in. I asked. Is that okay to go into that room? And going to There's the closet. There's a hole you could put your face in to make an Elian Gonzalez crime yeah, the, face. Yeah, immig- um, the, uh, <laughs> they went in and they punched, kicked, and you know, there's, there's that famous uh, picture of him getting dragged out of there. My question for both of you is, I think that was the reason why I think Gore lost Florida. I think. I mean, I think don't you, I always like Cubans voted against. Him because he was part of a Clinton, you know. I think people didn't want to give Gore like Gore gets credit for inventing the internet, so they were like, "Well, if he's president too, he will just have so much control over the internet yeah. and presidency and everything." So they were I like, "Let's it. give it to the idiot." Gore, Gore lost Florida because the Supreme Court stopped the recount, and I mean that that's why Gore lost Florida. But I think to your point that why didn't he get more support? particularly in, in, in Dade County. I think you're probably right. The truth is, though, too, is that that was like the last gasp mm-hmm. of that old-school right-wing Cuban power base uh, in Miami because nothing since then has really been the same for them. I see. After two, that was 2000. You yeah. Know, a, yeah, so after that, nothing is... They never really had that power. It's always been like politicians in Washington, D.C. kind of like giving lip service and entertaining. It's like, yes, Castro is bad. You know, let's have some... But like they've never really done anything for those right. people other than the embargo, which lasted far too long. And then finally, like once, once the Obama administration lifted it, uh, and I seriously doubt that the Trump administration is legit going to reverse that because there's too much money for Donald Trump to make in Cuba. Oh, yeah, all the hotels. That. In right. Yeah. And that's his yeah. number one and this will give him objective. And he's already violated the embargo back yeah. in the 90s. So what difference does it make? But he, I think, will use the death of Castro, which is essentially like symbolic at this point. But he could use that as an excuse to flip flop. Not that he needs an excuse, but he could say, oh, now that Fidel is dead, my administration can go and you know, talk. I think that should become our national anthem, a ding dong Fidel is dead song. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, we need like a little re- redo. Change things up a little bit. We're still a young country. Why not? Why not? Why not? I, 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 the way the way things are going, the national anthem should be performed in Espanol, irregardless. <laughs> Irregard. Well, we. I say. I say. Well, in Miami, we say irregardless because we're irreliterate. Um, <laughs> when I say irregardless, though, I mean it ironically. So. <laughs> So I'm doing it like as a guest. Your, to, sp- your Spanglish is pretty good. Ah, uh, sí, sí, un poquito, but yeah. like, it's like yeah. you're surrounded by the Hispanic people in Miami, so you might as yeah. well pick up a little Spanglish here and there. <laughs> I speak fluent West Kendall, like bro, like whatever, like bro, 
Like, bro, you make cocaine cowboys, bro? Well, you didn't get the whole story because you didn't talk to my uncle, bro. You got to talk to my uncle. Oh, bro, my uncle, bro, his name is Pedro, and he hook you up with all of the drogas, you know? You got to <laughs> you gotta come to me. And my uncle's uncle is actually younger than my uncle, but, yeah, that's how it is in Miami, bro. It's like, if you don't put bro in a sentence in Miami, bro. you're not from here. No, it's, 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 it's Cuban punctuation. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like you have to begin and end this like if it's an exclamation point you have to begin and end like bro what the fuck bro like you have to like you have to you have to like bookend it you Don't know they realize or, it makes him sound so dumb when they put bro everywhere it's like the canadian a, a. a. yeah yeah right? what's that all about who knows you guys i'm sitting here with fucking billy corbin and yoshi obayashi you know billy corbin from all the amazing documentaries he made, award-winning Cocaine Cowboys, The You, Broke, uh, and all of that. So thanks for doing my podcast. And you guys know Yoshi from the number one episode of Coup in the Gang. So welcome back, Yoshi, and welcome, Billy. Well, the end of my bucket list says <laughs> masturbate on Coup's podcast. So, <laughs> so I am here oh, to... you do, you do am, listen to the so podcast. I am, here, I am here to remind children, don't give up on your dreams. They can... <laughs> I know 2016 was was tough, was really soul crushing, but don't give up. You you know dreams can come true. So, but my one the one check on my off my bucket oh, list. Oh, maybe that is something I will do for 2017. I'll invite people to <laughs> masturbate. Ay, yo mio. Ay, dios mio. I was thinking I should do that with porn stars, though. Maybe you sure. do have a lot of talent here because I worked uh, adult business for 16 years and. Um, uh, they do find a lot of talents in uh, Atlanta, a lot of Georgia. Por- porn stars in Miami. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, it's interesting you're here because I, I loved your you how they found a lot of talent in Florida. You you do find a lot of talents in strip clubs in Florida. You know, so uh, that, so um, it's one of our great exports. Yes. Other than yeah, I mean, we, the problem is with, with the state of Florida economy is that as Carl Hyacin says, we we don't produce anything but oranges and handguns. There's no indigenous industry in Florida, so we subsist from mangoes, hustle to hustle. Bro? Well, yeah, just well ag agriculture, but like we just subsist from hustle to hustle. Meaning right. we constantly need to come up with like, oh, we're gonna do porn, we're gonna do strip clubs, we're gonna do pill mills, we're gonna we have to come up with these hustles because we don't have any other like nobody goes to work for the steel mill like you you know you're born and like there's industry that you just go into it's all hospitality it's all like it's all that's why zika was such a motherfucker for miami because everybody i knew who was gonna come down and visit miami they're like like, i cancel my flight i'm trying to have a baby and i'm like oh all of a sudden everybody's trying to have a goddamn baby when did this happen yeah (laughs) i know it's also like breaking couples apart because you want to put bug spray on it's like oh you want to have a baby you want to get pregnant you want to trap me but that, that's the theory is there's a there's a, an economist at USF that, that has this Ponzi state theory that says that Florida's whole economy is just a Ponzi state because all we do is rely on new revenue, new investment, new income, new arrivals every day. And the second that we had a net population decrease, which for the first time was in 07, is the economy right? collapsed. Yeah. Since the, the mid-1950s with the advent of DDT to kill the Skeeters – and central air conditioning when Miami, you could live here in Florida year round. It wasn't just like a, a snowbird, like sure. winter destination. Um, people would, we had on average since the mid 1950s, 1,000 new arrivals in the state of Florida every single day. That's fucking insane. 365,000 wow. people on average came to the state of Florida every single year. But what the hell did they do? Now, 
some of them, a lot of them were retirees, so they weren't looking for, you know, for job opportunities. But everybody else, what do you do when you're here? Real estate, construction, restaurants, uh, hospitality, all the businesses essentially designed to attract tomorrow's 1,000 new people. And then in 07, the first net population decrease since the mid-1950s, and our economy collapsed. And that was ahead of the worldwide recession. You know, wait, you know, they always say the Florida of today is the America of tomorrow. So if you want to know what calamities or challenges will befall the nation in the years or decades to come, you just look at the canary in the coal mine. You look at what's happening in Florida, specifically South Florida, and you yeah. will know. Look at the government and look at the state of the Democratic Party. The Democrats have been a disaster in Florida since like the mid-90s. So if you wanted to know, they can't win a statewide election, they can't do shit, and they put a Florida Democrat in charge of the Democratic National Committee. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and the whole thing went to shit. That, that was not a, they didn't ask anybody in Florida our opinion. We would have been like, don't do it. It's going to go to hell because we know that from the last 20 years. What if Democrats in Florida like bring people down from New York to reg- <laughs> like share the address? You know, like we put like 20 people per address on paper and then you guys vote and just come down and visit Miami in November, which is pretty nice. But it's not just Miami-Dade. You look at the maps. It's, it's, it's county by county. So like Miami-Dade is like, okay, Miami-Dade is like the blue foreskin on a red penis that everybody wishes we could just circumcise. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and everybody, meaning like we would rather be like the state of South Florida and you can be the state of I North mean, Florida. I mean, with all these and... South Americans here, we are kind of mostly uncircumcised. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't, don't project your problems on us, okay? <laughs> we, we... It does rain every day here, though, so I don't, I guess you can't mind the hoodage, the extra hoodage. I mean, with, okay, so with marijuana being legalized medically ish. here, at least, ish. what do you mean ish? It's not official? Well, January 3rd is when the, the constitutional amendment, theoretically, it, it goes into place. But the, the state has, like, whatever it is, a certain amount of time through the legislative session next year to get the regulations together. And the way that they handled, like, Charlotte's Web, which was the first medical marijuana that was legalized here a couple sessions ago, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to totally drag their feet, pardon uh. me, on this one, and try to make it last. Now, the problem is, not the problem, but the cool thing is, is that some people are going to be like, fuck you, and they're going to start opening dispensaries irregardless, and then they're going to get, they're gonna get into a battle. Word of the day, people. <laughs> it's the word of every day. It's the word of every day here in Miami, but like, they're going to start to get into a battle with the state in the courts to, to try to figure figure this out because we theoretically will have a constitu- a state constitutional paper, right. it's legal. In the state. However. All, however, not federally, of course. Um, well, and, but, but federally lets us do whatever we want state-wise. At the moment, the policy of the federal government is to yield to the, the power and authority They're going to take the that states. away from us? There's no telling what an attorney general will do under, under a Trump administration. That is true. Um, Trump has already said on the campaign trail that – he believes in states' rights with respect to, you know, the legalization of medical or recreational marijuana. The problem is he doesn't really do anything that he says that he's going to do and is already kind of obviously going doesn't back on— does he say he's going to make America great again? Not green. He doesn't say he's going to make America green again. We just have to change two letters. Big yeah. deal. But the problem is—and is, is and, and I think that—I think he can be beseeched on an economic— by the economic argument. I don't know about his attorney general, whoever that may be. Meaning, like, there is nothing, nothing, if you can come up with something, let me know, that a president or a governor could do with the stroke of a pen that could create more jobs, 
more economic opportunity, more tax revenue than legalizing marijuana. There is nothing you could, where you could say, I'm going to create not a dozen, like Rick Scott, the governor of the great state of Florida. Rick Scott goes to the grand opening of every Wawa gas station. By the way, I love Wawa, don't get me wrong, but that's the creation. No, she just went to a Wawa for the first, for the first time, time yesterday. yesterday. I love Wawa. Delicious food. I was shocked. Yeah, on the touch screen, make you your can, own you sub. You can act and... like a baby when you pull out Wawa. <laughs> I love Wawa. Yeah. I know it from the Northeast. It's finally coming to Florida. I'm very excited. I mean, it is. It's up to Central Florida. It's working its way down, though, to Miami. Uh, we'll see how it goes here. Like, I always say, if you want to fuck up any business, open it in Miami. Because, like, the people make the place. So, like, the second you open the business, you're like, I really like this place in Philly. You know? And you're like, because eh, then you got, like, a bunch of, like, whacked out you know, drug addicts making meth in the bathroom. And that's just the employees. So like, you know, (laughs) so like, you know, but like, so Rick Scott goes to every ribbon cutting ceremony at a Wawa, right? We created 10 new jobs at a gas station. Mazel tov. He wants a fucking pat on the back for a fucking Wawa. How many people work at a gas station? One? Right. So I go to Denver. Um, and I have family who have been in the medical marijuana business since it was the wild west. Meaning like he would get pulled over by cops And they would have a garbage bag full of weed and a garbage bag full of cash. The cops would radio it in and they'd go, drive safe. Go ahead. Because, like, it was legal, but there was no regulations yet. Now it's a totally legit business. And these guys have to go and pay their taxes to the state with duffel bags full of cash because they can't bank. Well, when we have dispensaries in Miami, they're all going to get robbed. Well, the security is obviously a, ma- a major a major issue, and the grows have to be kept like kind of like secret and secure, which they still are in in Colorado. But the problem is, I went to what is it, uh, uh, cannabis cup, one of these like epic events that they do, and I'm walking around, and I don't smoke, so I'm just kind of taking it all in, like like the whole scene, and I'm like, look at this. This is every industry that is big in Florida. This is tourism, conventions, agriculture, medicine, hotel. I mean, like every business that we retail. um, I I mean, like everything that we claim that we're about in Florida as an industry, like tie dye t shirts. (laughs) This is that's a major my specialty. That's like that's like that's like eleven percent of the economy (laughs) in in Florida. So like all of these businesses, I'm like, holy shit! The fact that we don't have this in Florida is literally a crime. How long will it be till it's legally recognized? Recreational, you think? I think it's gonna. I think that's gonna take a while. I think we have to see how badly the state fucks up the the medical regulations because that's gonna be. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm a little confused. I thought you guys passed something recently to completely. We did in November. Amendment two passed by seventy one percent. When do you remember seventy one percent of anybody agreeing on anything? But seventy one percent of Floridians, okay, voted to support the legalization of medical marijuana in the state of Florida. And you could have up to whatever is considered a personal amount, right? That's what I. That's the issue. issue. Now the regu- the details of it. I see. And that's the rub is that the state, who is fundamentally and an administration that is fundamentally anti medical marijuana, now has to regulate a business, sort of like they're like dragged kicking and screaming by seventy one percent of the voters. For, that's the fortunate thing is that like they should first of all they should have done it on their own. Right. Because they knew last time Amendment 2 lost two years ago with 59% of the vote or 58% of the vote. And all of these politicians who were against it would kill to get 58 or 59% of a statewide wide vote. And they, that's why they legalized Charlotte's Nowadays, Web. you kill for 51% of anything. Of course. Or, or just to win. You know, like, you know, just to win. It for, I mean, you know, Marco Rubio, who's against medical marijuana, did not get 
close to 71% of the vote when he was reelected. Not close to it. And none of them did. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a Democrat who was against medical marijuana, also did not win with a margin uh, like that. But the problem is now you have a reluctant administration and a reluctant state government having to come up with those details sure. that you're asking about. And basically, they the, the, leg, the state legislature did pass a medical marijuana bill with Charlotte's Web, very limited access for children who get seizures and yeah. have brain injuries. And it took them years to come up. And they still have one dispensary in the entire state that is able to to to, to give kids medicine. Yeah, it's like somewhere up. I don't I don't smoke marijuana and I, I don't have any against anybody smoking. I'm all for it. Um, I hate the drug wars, and I think we forget mentioned sometimes that it hurts the cartels in Mexico too. Whenever you legalize these things, and um, you know, I, basically it just seems like all we shift all that uh, when we're fighting crimes in Colombia, we just shift everything to Mexico. So. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure you're probably against drug wars, right? I mean, these policies. Well, you're, you're making far too much sense for the American government to actually deal with that, because objectively, the war on drugs has been a massive failure. Yeah. Take cocaine, for example. Cocaine is more readily available. It's cheaper and more pure than it was in the 1980s. Here, so when you have a drop in, uh, uh, in. In in well, I don't think there's been a drop in demand. Let's right. just let's just start there. But when you have a drop in prices, and in, you know, and and increased availability and purity, that's not because of a successful enforcement measure. That's because of the abject failure of the enforcement measure. But much like like look at TSA. TSA is a is a bureaucracy that we created in the wake of nine eleven. So it's it's what fifteen years old, not even this bra- sure. and it's already a monster with its own budget, its own economy. They even, they even have their own Instagram account. Their own and Instagram they account. Pictures, <laughs> they post pictures of stuff that people have tried to bring in and they say, don't bring this in. Yeah. It's it's basically tens of thousands of pictures of water bottles. Right. Is yeah. basically what, what, what the Instagram account is. But but what I'm saying is the DEA yeah. has, has the inertia of the TSA times five decades, you know, or four decades. So you you have an unstoppable force that actually has its own foreign policy independent of the lawmakers and the executives of the United States of America. They literally go into other countries and do whatever they want. They abuse constitutional rights, abuse their authority, abuse the taxpayers' money with little to no oversight, and nobody does a thing about it. So, like the guy in Narcos did. Like the guy in Narcos. I haven't seen Narcos yet. I haven't seen it. Sorry. I mean, the, the U.S. government is literally... <laughs> I'm going to binge anything. <laughs> it's going to be the product. I think the U.S. government is literally <laughs> addicted to drug wars because, you know, after a while, I don't even know who's the bad guys, the drug dealers or U.S. government. We're addicted yeah. to the money. Yeah. We're addicted to the money. That is a whole economy. What happens if you just tell the DEA, stop doing that? You put out... You put. Hundreds of thousands of people out of work. You save the taxpayers billions of dollars, not only in the DEA's budget, but in uh, criminal justice, yeah. in law enforcement on a local level, in prisons, in, and you stop tearing families apart by putting nonviolent offenders who grew a plant that literally just comes out of the earth that is less dangerous than poison ivy into prison. Lock them up and deprive them of, you know, Liberty and property. I mean, it's, it's absolute insanity. And the true insanity is not only the idea of it or the policy of it is that we have perpetuated it and allowed it to perpetuate for all of these years. And in a democracy, people get the government they deserve. So I blame us. Like, I, I mean, 
Every everybody in this room. Blame, I blame, your, I blame, blame yourself. Yeah, I, bl- I blame everybody. I blame yeah. every we're single. We're Asian. American. We're new to this country. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen in Korea if you got caught with marijuana? Oh Jesus! Oh, How many put- lashes would you get? Is that death penalty? Like what? Well, don't worry. You get lashes for not even smoking marijuana. I got <laughs> lashes for A minus. You know shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's I, I travel a lot to Middle East, <laughs> and if if. If you're traveling to Dubai and they get whiff that you were smoking marijuana, so like let's say get Esther, a whiff, I get it. Well, if, <laughs> let's say if Esther's performing in Dubai and and she knows there's a tough drug law, so you smoke a lot before your trip, they could pull you out of the lineup, take your blood. If they find marijuana in your blood, in their in their eyes, you brought marijuana to that country and you will face severe punishment over there first of all that's a really good tip because that's scary as shit because if you like because if they googled you you know what i mean you guys, see- i smoked weed in my uncle's house in la and i <laughs> oh, think yeah. he's that's not gonna good let me stay there Asian. anymore yeah. <laughs> that's what happens they he rescind, pulls you right out of the line they rescind your uh your privileges <laughs> yeah I a- a- asian weed. people do not fuck around with drugs man it, and paul mccartney was I mean, kicked out of japan Filipino for years president. But he Dubai, wants to kill them. There's like a British woman was just gang raped in Dubai, reported to the police, and she was arrested for having sex out of wedlock. Yes. Like, this is what we're talking about. It's like it kind of has the veneer of being this very progressive, right. you think modern you don't trust the police in this country. But... Try, try Dubai. Shit. And I've, get, I've been to Afghanistan twice, and, you know, they have Taliban running everything, but they produce more heroin than ever, you know. It's yes. That's part of what the war actually helped revive was the the the, the, heroin, the poppy right. yeah the poppy in, industry. Agriculture is back in Afghanistan. Muchas gracias, America. <laughs> we have more than cactus now. That, that was not Arabic, by the way. That I just what was, was that? <laughs> that was Miami. And do you think we're ever going to consider uh, drug as uh, health issues and not moral and legal issues? Do you, do you, are you optimistic or pessimistic about that? Um, I was optimistic maybe till about November of 2016. Uh, I really thought that, that the trend – I actually predicted that Donald Trump would, would win. I've been talking about it You on the radio. did? I did. I've been, I've been talking about it on the radio all year. Um, I was so wrong. Yeah, but like I predicted it. I, 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 I didn't want it, but I, but I predicted it. Um, and, uh, but I still was very much – we did a documentary and series. And people didn't believe you, right? No. People didn't want – to believe me, yeah. I was on the radio the Thursday before the election with I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna call him out, Mike Grunwald, who's a very gifted author. He wrote the Swamp about the politics of the Everglades. Time Magazine writer, Politico writer, uh, Mark Caputo, an amazing uh, 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 political journalist in in the state of Florida, um, and literally like arguing with them about Michael Grunwald predicted on the radio on Thursday before before election day that Hillary Clinton would win by the largest landslide in the history of modern politics and I literally looked at him what? and I was like and I was on terrestrial radio and I was like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> oh I had to get done they had to do- thank God for the seven second delay because I was like what are you saying like there is first of all they're polling like in a dead heat at that point I'm like so where do you he's like oh there are people who don't want to like uh, you know, shake the consternation of their of their families, so they're like closet Hillary supporters. I'm like, nobody is a closet Hillary supporter. The closet supporters are the Trump supporters who oh, are going at a comedy show. When you say where are my Trump supporters at, it's silent before well, before the election. Uh, we did a roast of the election um, for for charity <laughs> uh, in Miami, and I'm gonna tell you, 
the Trump jokes did not go over the way I thought they would. And I, I totally said, I was like, wow, I did not gauge this room that way. And it was in Miami, it was a Miami crowd. And Trump did not win Miami-Dade County, but I could see the way the wind was blowing. It was just not, it was, it was, there was a level of disaffection. You cannot, you yeah. cannot negate the disaffection of white people because there's so many of them. And when they get together and get pissed about something, they're so going to get their way every time. I was talking time. to this white guy on the plane uh, like a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned sure. something like, well, well, who knows with Trump, blah, blah, blah. And he just, he just acted like I didn't even bring his name up because he didn't want to like get into it. He was obviously a Trump supporter. But we still- saw the guy in Delta. The guy screaming and he's been banned from Delta. Yeah. That guy screaming about you Hillary bitches and, every, and, and Trump, baby Trump. That guy, uh, he, he's been the banned from guy, Delta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Trump supporters are so crazy, they will tweet at Delta and be like, well, fuck you that you like banned this guy. We're no longer flying Delta. Sorry, anymore. I don't know anything about this. What happened? There's a crazy drunk guy in a Delta plane who was like, hey, listen to all you stupid Hillary bitches. Like, Trump is in office now and was just like yelling. Trump, baby, Trump. Like, was, like, but yelling. really antagonizing and disrupting yeah. the flight. Very bizarre that he didn't like wind up in, in handcuffs. Because like, so, someone had said, had observed ra- rather accurately, uh, if he had been screaming the same shit in Arabic, he would have been, in, he would have been a deep, dark hole with a bag over right. his head by now in Guantanamo. Now, now you both live here, so I, my... I was shocked that more Cubans actually voted for Trump. Do you have any sort of explanation? I mean, at least that's what I read. Remember I said people get the government they deserve? Oh, There's yeah. a reason why Fidel Castro was there for 90 years, okay? All due respect to my, yeah. to my Cuban friends. But, like, you know, you, you don't, like, <laughs> you don't save your country by, you know, Boating away and colonizing Miami, like that's not how you enact sure. change there. But and then a lot of the Cuban politicians in Miami, I've observed that they, if this were live, we'd be getting a lot of calls right now. The, the, the board, <laughs> the board would be lighting, you know, TF up right now. But um, I've noticed a lot of the Cuban politicians here. It's not that they hate Castro; they hate that they they are not Castro. They they come to power in Miami and they want to impose their own will. More, they want to ban their own books. They want to put their own uniforms. And I'm like, wait a second. It's like you just want to be the strong man. It's like it's not like you that you're against fundamentally the idea of a to, you know totalitarianism or fascist yes. communist government, but like you actually just want to be the person who's imposing your will on other people. I think it's a culture of machismo. I think it's a culture of that that wants to be lorded over by a strong man. Honestly, and so. So I think that that's sort of the that's sort of the end. And so when they see someone who I mean, a lot of these not not a lot of these people. There's quite a few Cubans, including uh, Marco Rubio's grandfather, abuelo, who supported Castro in his revolution. They, they did. They did. They supported, and then they were like, "Oh shit, he's not the guy we thought he was." Trump, much like you know, you you like you install someone in your government, you know, and and in the case of Cuba, by the way, it was just one third world dictator replacing another third world dictator right. Batista was garbage too you know it was just a question of which side he was said that he was our bastard yeah know? exactly yeah. that's right he was that we could control he was our horrible puppet yeah. who, we, who we allowed to impose his horrible will on the people of Cuba there's, um, al- there's also a lot of rich Cubans in Miami yeah. and who are doctors and dentists and so they just want to hold on to their money so they voted Trump well that's that I think that's true there are a significant number of Americans who voted with their pocketbook, who right. thought that that was the safer bet to, to hold on to their money. And you can't really begrudge people people that. The problem becomes, and for me, uh, I guess, you know, meeting a lot of people and traveling and making documentaries and finding myself being, you know, uh, 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 sympathetic, if not empathetic, for people who are criminals, you know, because I interview a lot of 
a lot of criminals and finding a way to sort of say, well, these are also humans. You're on a criminals podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Just haven't been caught. <laughs> I'm one That's of the it. good ones. You know? <laughs> the police never search me. But I like, I feel, you know, like a level of, I think our docs sometimes humanize criminals, not because we are trying to put our, our thumb on the scale or trying sure. to, you know, trying to be biased about it um, or glorify them, but because as it turns out, they're humans. They might have made some what? mistakes. And some are worse than others. They might have made some mistakes, but it's like you can still kind of acknowledge them as humans, listen to their story and say, okay, they're a scumbag or they're not. It's, it's up to the audience uh, at, at that point. But I think that that's, I think that that's the problem is that like I thought – it was always my opinion that if we were a more inclusive, sensitive, and empathetic America, that that would be a better America yeah. for everybody. The idea that, like, I believe that as many Americans as possible should have as many rights as possible. But when you now have half the country almost who thinks that if we give rights to other people, that means I have Less rights. I believe that the rising tide raises all ships. Didn't mean to make a sea level rise joke there, but I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that like the more freedoms that every that other people have, the more freedoms you have. The more fr- this idea that like, oh wait, now that blacks and women and Mexicans and Muslims have the same rights, I do. I now have somehow my rights have been diminished in some way. People feel that way now. That's a very real feeling. And while it can be challenging to be empathetic to people who have no empathy for others, that's where we're at. We're at this idea. If you voted with your pocketbook, you also said, I don't care about my fellow Americans who are of different gender, different color. I mean, different my religion. question is, who says pocketbook anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wallet or purse? Pocket, maybe yeah, just a, right. <laughs> I, I never understood that. Maybe that's an East Coast thing where people are like, oh, let me hold your pocketbook for you. I'm like, this is my purse. What are you talking about? Pocketbook. I don't know how uh, Esther how you how you feel about it, but you know when we do shows in Midwest and places like that, I think empathy is a very important thing. But I always say white people have feelings too, and you know <laughs> when, when, uh, I wear that people? shirt. I buy that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know I, I think uh, this ugly language uh, I've heard from both. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton said those deplorable groups Basket of people. Of deplorable. Yeah, and. I think if you're if you're a white person living in Ohio or uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and places like you lost your jobs, and if they want to have honest conversation about race and things like that, you're always afraid they're going to call you racist. So you they they can't even uh, you know express their frustration. So I think they were kind of bored and say fuck you. You know I'm not a racist. I'm I'm concerned about my uh, my life and my family and you know and if you vote for Hillary, you're going to have the same way of living. It's going to backfire then, then, because I don't think Trump's going to necessarily create more jobs, you know? Of course but not. I think... going to bring back what factor? The coal business yeah. is coming back? Give me a break. Like, listen, but, but in Ohio, they must be real excited to see a couple of Chinamen like you. Like y'all. <laughs> like y'all. Hey, like I like y'all. to be called China woman, like y'all. all right? Get that, get that goddamn racial slur correct. <laughs> well, listen, I see it as, and, and, and maybe living in Miami, which people have a common yeah. misconception is a... It's a melting pot. It's not. It's much more akin to a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall over into the mashed potatoes. Sure. You know that you get at El Presidente Supermarket. El Presidente <laughs> Navarro Pharmacy. En, en rebajas, fifty percent off. Sedanos, <laughs> public sabor. Um, but Your like, impression is very good. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But I, I would put it, I put it this way. I say like you don't get to pick your parents. Right. You open your eyes one day and you're. 
you're 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 faced in you're in this world and you're looking around and you're like, okay, I gotta play I the know, hand. I grew I'm up dealt. watching Full House, being like, why can't Bob Saget be my dad? <laughs> Said no one ever. Who would want that? Who would want that to happen? What a pervert! No, I love Bob Saget. Um, he he should be on. He should masturbate with you on the show too. I think. I think he would too. I yeah. really do. I believe. I believe. There, he would there's do a that. mannequin <laughs> challenge. Yeah. This is the masturbation challenge. <laughs> Bob Saget, you're being summoned by Billy Corbin. You're being challenged for the masturbation uh, challenge. But I think people don't have. It's a struggle for people to have the ability to say like. I can, I, I'll, yeah, I can judge that person who I know nothing about and whose life I can't possibly understand. Sure. But I, I like, and I like to say, like, I well, I can't understand their life, which is why I have to kind of start. My default is empathy. Is my my default is like, well, what have they gone through that I haven't gone through that have yeah. put them so where they are now? Everybody who's into Blue Lives Matter should go into blackface and walk around and oh, see God. what it's like <laughs> oh, to get God. racially profiled. <laughs> I, I can't endorse that. But. <laughs> Hashtag obviously a joke. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, over the summer, I read this great book by J.G. Vance who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because you learn more about white people in the Midwest and Appalachian Mountains. But I, I, I was always curious, like, why do poor working class white people vote for the Republican Party? Because their economic policy is really hard on them. It's, it's not really good for them. Yeah. And he was explaining, it's because... Even though they're harsh, they respect their culture and they actually listen to what they have to say. And I think that has a lot to do with Hillary not winning with those voters in that part of it. Unquestionably, the 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 well, that's the they. It's now coalesced into the term elitism. Yeah, this idea that you know thumbing their nose or being holier than thou, right? Too good to campaign in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or what have. Yeah, I mean, there's the you know the 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 Rust Belt as 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 they call it sometimes derisively. Um, And that's the thing is that like you know I I always say like oh as 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 you media elites like to call call them the flyover states or as I call it. The United States of America. It's yes, like you can't, absolutely. Yeah, you can't belittle it. You listen. You travel there. You know that there are people and economies yeah. and comedy clubs and life and like it's just like the rest of America, you know. But like, but people have such a such a disdain. It 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 it, it seems, and and in part, I think because. You know, people in the educated coasts think that they vote against their own best interests, so they're dismissive of them. The challenge becomes for other candidates or the Democrats, as we're talking about, to get a message to them that we are actually doing more for you, or if that's if that's sure. the truth, or that you convince them that they're not voting in their best interest because they're stupid or ignorant, but because they haven't really had another option because the Democrats have been totally ignoring or belittling them because I, I think Esther and I, you know i think asians in america were kind of invisible you know because we don't really complain publicly uh, you know you know what you know what i'm trying to say because white people said they would tell me like don't go into that black neighborhood and black people say don't go to the white neighborhood but i go everywhere and like nobody ever says don't go into that asian neighborhood they're like go into that asian neighborhood yeah got good restaurants yeah the best dim sum yeah like that's where <laughs> it's absolutely you know it's true but I, I never had. We, a- we want people to be scared to go into our neighborhoods. What do you think we should do <laughs> to make Chinatown gangs? More- SARS. Need more, you need K-Towns more gangs. More- SARS. <laughs> we, we, we had to create. We have to create new disease. At the, at the entrance of every Chinatown, you give out masks. Uh, stop, pe- stop people from going in to buy the person. Well, I, well, you oh, you're at every airport I'm in. I always see an Asian person with a surgical mask on. So maybe yeah, just everybody should just should just wear in Chinatown. They just it's all true. wear surgical masks, and people will be like, "What the fuck is going on in there? And what is that smell?" 
That's it's that always smell. like dead duck and fish. <laughs> yeah. like, it's fuck is that Chinatown. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's because to us, white people smell. <laughs> and so in a plane, it's usually all white people. So true. you want to like... So true. Mas- you want to just smell your own lips. <laughs> then you do all the nasty, sweaty white people around us. That's how I got swine flu. I made fun of people wearing those surgical masks in the subway in New York. I was like the f- I'm the first swine flu patient in Miami-Dade County. You got years ago. Really? I got. F- I got did did you God. really get sick from? Swear that? to God, I was. I think I was the first. What happened to you? Patient. I just got a flu. I got a fever and I got sick and then I got better. That was it. You went to the hospital. I went to the hospital because my girlfriend at the time had like 105, 106 fever. She oh got it worse God. than I did, and so I like. I was literally giving her a sponge bath with like ice water and alcohol. Like I had to physically, the, the sheets were warm to the touch under her. Like it felt like they had just come out of the dryer. And, and, and I was like, oh shit. And I had to physically, I was on the phone with the doctor at like 3 a.m. I had to physically try to bring her temperature down and it wasn't working. So we went to the, the ER and got tested. He must tested. have been a friend of yours because no doctor gives out their cell phone number like that. Oh yeah, it was a, it was a friend. Yeah, yeah nice. And then, he fin- and then he finally said as a friend, get to the emergency room. And yeah. we went to the emergency room and we both got tested and I, I came in first as positive for swine flu and then we just got on what was it was, it was that medic- medication that everybody said was like there was a run on it and nobody could get it and we got it from the pharmacy at the hospital and wow. we were fine within within days wow yeah what do you think um you know with the zika outbreak they're saying that it's not as harmful as we originally thought now i mean but that's, it's that's what still Greater spreading. Miami and the Beaches Tourism Board is telling you. Yeah, um, it's still spreading. That's that's the truth. The fact that like nobody's talking about it anymore, but yet it's still actually it's now in Texas. Uh, there are local cases in Texas, uh, so it's actually it's not only spreading in had, Florida. I mean, like it's not like I'm going to have a baby this year or anything. But it, only, it only affects pregnant women. Is that the well? That's the problem. Is that we have no idea at the moment. Well, you're supposed you get like a flu if you okay. aren't going to get pregnant, but yeah, I mean it's more dangerous for pregnant women than anybody else. Well, I, really, most dangerous for their unborn babies is what right. they're saying. I see. So not just pregnant women, but their unborn baby. But then they don't. They have an estimate about how long it stays in men's sperm if you get it. Uh, and then if you and then if right. you procreate, I mean, like there's all these. But it's question kind of like birth it. control. Like guys don't really give a shit. I'm constantly putting bug spray on, but like guys, <laughs> guys don't care. I said like, guys don't ever have to take birth control. Remember, it took Congress like eight months or something preposterous to give any funding to it that the White House was asking for. And I said, Jesus Christ, if 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 like penises falling off was one of the symptoms of Zika, they would have passed this funding right bill away, like, yeah. like eight months ago. They would have been like, what, penises? It's like, you know, like, it's just incredible. Like, like just, is it, but should it be any shocker that old white men in power don't care about women's health? I mean, should that be any, should that or be any don't surprise don't care about anyone? women's anything. And, and, and for, you know, the joke used to be like, oh, the Republicans only care about babies up until they're born. You know, then it's like, you're on your own, kids. There's no, you're going to be no social services and no welfare, no support for single mothers. And no, but, the, but if they really believe that, I want to know, can I, if life begins at conception, whatever that means, can I start taking off my taxes for a dependent at conception? Because I just lost no, nine months. Good, I just lost nine fucking, fucking months of a tax break. Point. Right? Yeah. I just lost nine months on my tax break, right? For, for a dep- I mean, so like, it's a completely warped I- idea. And the idea that like, you know, government should stay out of your everything except your vagina is like a completely twisted form of conservatism or libertarianism. But, well, actually, libertarians don't care about Libertarians don't want the government in their anything to their sure. credit. But like, and, and, but, but, 
the hypocrisy, and it's a hypocrisy of both sides of government. It's like all everything we learned in civics class, like growing up, is not true. Like, oh, you know, uh, social Republicans, studies. Yeah, social studies. Republicans. You guys want, say civics class here is so bizarre. No, so, I mean they call it both. I think it depends on like what grade level you're in or what school you're in, but social <laughs> studies or civics or yeah. But 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 they taught us that like Republicans believe in you know uh, less powerful federal government and more states' rights. Like, but only when that suits their other agenda. So you don't really learn in school about what the other agenda is until you grow up and you're like, oh, they only believe in that to a point. So you can't really just say, oh, that's the ideology of of one party or another. They all believe in more power. There's no there's nobody there's no president that goes into office and says, you know what I want to do here? I want less power. Nobody ever does that. Every president you know uh, has more power or takes more power than the one before them and every con- no nobody says like we want change because like once you're in power you're like no i want the status quo because i want to stay in power is right. what is what we want to do so well i mean with with ivanka next to trump it's like now they're so powerful because she's going to be running it seems she and her husband's going to be running his business while he's president and you know they're having dinner every night I don't know what it seems. It seems like it seems like she and her husband are going to be running the government while they're running his business. Like I don't know what. Like I, I I appreciate the the closeness of that you know unusual unusual family. Although imagine for a moment that Barack Obama was running for president and he had multiple children with three different women and all these different. Ma- imagine what people who voted for Donald Trump would have said about Barack Obama if he had a bunch of baby mamas and a bunch of, and a, and that kind of irreverent uh, family. I appreciate it irregardless, but right. like, and I, and I like that he sort of like rely, I, I think it's wonderful that he actually like, like seeks out the counsel of his children and everything, who I think are probably far more progressive and sympathetic Americans than, than he might necessarily. be. Not necessarily. Well, if I mean. you read uh, Ivanka's book on, uh, she, she talked about how like she didn't have a, uh, an opportunity to get a lemonade stand because they lived in the Trump Tower. So they would like sell lemonade to the help. To like oh, the cleaning right? ladies, the maids, and doormen, because like they were that's like- a that's American entrepreneurialism. I mean, Walmart has created Walmart is the largest corporation in the world, and they've created an entire class of people who can only afford to shop at Walmart. Walmart employees, like like what? Are, it's a self perpetuating kind of kind of concept, and and Walmart gets welfare. Walmart is the largest recipient of welfare, I think, in the entire country because their employees don't make enough money. And don't get the health coverage that they need, that they have to rely on on welfare in addition to all the tax breaks that Walmart gets in order to open their stores. When, when they give money to poor people, it's called welfare. But when you give money to rich people, it's called subsidy. It's the same. Yeah. It's, it's, you it's, know, it's, it's corporate welfare. Yeah. Their sports welfare is very, sure. is very popular. Giving when you billions. give money to Asians, it's called scholarship. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Line of the day. Wow. I really feel like you should literally drop that mic. Like literally. It's <laughs> like fucking fantastic. Maybe we should be tipping the greeters at Walmart because they are so underpaid. If you get a nice hello with a nice smile, <laughs> like they her. should have a bucket and you put a little dollar in there. You I know? mostly get an hola from from my from my Walmart okay, greeters. You could you could pass as Cuban. You I know? how can I pass really? Yeah, you because so? Cuban Juban. Juban no, maybe. Cubans are really blanco, you know? Some of them are a super white. It's true. A lot of them. It's true. But like that's the thing I, I discover. And 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 uh, you know when I called you all y'all uh, Chinaman earlier, it's sort of the greater point that like yeah we still haven't forgiven you for that. I I, I know I know I I feel shame. So I I, I feel like 
Well, that's the thing about growing up in Miami is that you realize because like Americans look at like Hispanics and they're like y'all Hispanics, y'all <laughs> Hispanics. But like, first of all, the the first thing that Hispanic people hate is being called Hispanic or Latin. They they prefer to be called, to be identified by their nation of origin. You know, like which is interesting coming from them because every Asian people they see they say Chino and. I guess if you're Chinese, it's okay. How come to me, they call me Benga Chinita. <laughs> what does that mean? It's like, come here, little China girl. <laughs> R.I.P. David Bowie. <laughs> so it's weird. Like, they want people to be sensitive to their ethnic background, yeah. but they turn around. I mean, white people get too much blame for being racist because minorities can be racist, too. Believe me, I'm Asian. Asian people are probably the worst group who hate each other, you know? No, that's, and, but that's just bad. That's growing up in Miami. You learn that, like... Because uh, first of all, I don't get into a road rage incident with anyone until I see which flag is flying on the uh, rearview mirror. You know, like you want to see what's what's now, dangling. Now, like, you have right to now, know, we got Cuban flags. You have to know who you're dealing That's with. Hilarious. You know, right you have to know who you're car. dealing with. That's- but like, but honestly, I I learned and 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 I lo- I know this from my Hispanic friends. You know, from from my Cuban <laughs> friends that that Hispanic people are the most racist people on the planet about each other. Like, God forbid, you mistake a Venezuelan for a Cuban or a Cuban for an Argentinian or an Argentinian for a Puerto Rican or any of them for yeah. a Mexican. They hate Mexican. Okay, here's like, how you so- tell you meet a Venezuelan. They got your shoes on the minute you meet them. <laughs> <laughs> They're like magicians. Well, I will tell you. Not the ones here. They got money here. Every Cuban I've ever met tells me, pero yo, bro, like my great, 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 great grandpa was from Spain. It's like, sure, you're European, not yeah. Caribbean. Everybody always says, like, we're, we're European, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, totally, we're from Spain. It's like, no, you're not. They're you're like, from Cuba. That's where my mom gets her blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're, like, proud of that like, one trait. That's, like, that's, like gringo looking. Contacts. Totally contacts. <laughs> They're fake. Fake blue eyes. Absolutely. But, I mean, everybody's racist. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit like, racist. You're, you think Asians are the most racist because you're Asian. And so you've seen... Family members of yours being racist. Sure, I mean, I, I have my Jap- family members. I have Japanese name, but my family's ethnically Korean, and I was born in Japan. So you go through all sorts. I mean, I, I just when white people are racist to me, it's nothing personal. It's like a generic form of racism. But when they're <laughs> Asian people, they get really specific, and I hate that shit more than anything. You know, so. well, because you look Japanese on paper, so we don't know <laughs> if we should hate you. Yeah, <laughs> and you're so big. I don't really know Korean guys that are so big like you. I don't. I don't really? know. I, yeah. I, I grew up like like I grew up Jewish. I mean, weren't really we weren't raised very religious. But are like, you still Jewish? What? I, I uh, un poquito, wito, like a little bit. Like you're I'm turning, not. You're turning Hispanic. But when I look at you, I just think white guy. You know, yeah. I, I, you oh, know I, I don't a, mean race. I mean, dude, in trying to insult you, but I just think, dude, I'm totally a white guy. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, but like I was raised. And I don't know if it's a product of being in Miami or what it was, but I was raised ex- like in an extremely tolerant environment. Like, yeah. It was always about like what you could do for or with other people or, sure. or it was like a very, I don't know why. And I never sort of dealt with this before. Like there was very little conflict with in my home. Like I, I didn't really, we didn't address those distinctions, which there's something to be said for like, you know, hate being kind of bred into you from you know from 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 your childhood but like we just like were very it, like it was it was taught to us that like everybody was the same you know i don't know like and it wasn't like it's still like a, it wasn't like a real like you know bob saget at the end of full house kind of hand on the shoulder with the with the strings playing kind of a moment it was just like it was just assumed that that's the way the world was is that sure. i wasn't any better just because i won the 
fucking genetic lottery and be, and was born a white man in America, you know, which is true. But like, then there I, are some Jews who say they're not white. Oh, they are white. White is my butt. Right? They're white. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The those are, those Jews are the from, Jewish uh, guys who like dating black girls. They're like, we're not white. We're we've we've been we've been oppressed. <laughs> You know, like they, they don't want to identify as white, some people. Well, that's interesting. You know, we did this Tanning of America doc series for, uh, doc mini series for, for VH1 years ago for the Rock Docs. And like, it was all about how like black culture, specifically hip hop culture, became the predominant American culture and tanned the mental complexion of a generation of young Americans, specifically the millennials who wound up voting for the first black president of the United States, which seems all kind of very romantic and nostalgic, sure. uh, a notion now. But like, you know, when we did this, like one of the things we explored is the fact that the Jewish people like were always on the front lines of civil rights movements and all of like those you know the the, the earliest civil rights uh, organization everything were all like co-founded by by Jewish people just like uh, you know uh, just like uh, uh, was it Def Jam Records you know right. co-founded <laughs> by a black guy and a Jewish guy you know what I mean it was it's like and and that's kind of I, I think an interesting part of his I don't know if it's if it's a feeling of of commonality because of like you know systemic oppression. For you know, for 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 centuries, probably, probably. And plus, Jewish women are on the front line of the feminist movement in the sixties and the seventies. So your mom was probably super progressive. They so look for not... anything to kvetch about those walls. <laughs> yeah, but they're good kvetchers. <laughs> they are. They could talk a mile a minute. It's true. You know, like, <laughs> and they could convince you that like women should start voting and shit and start wearing pants. <laughs> And have jobs. <laughs> and whenever I go to New York City and Chinatown, I see old Jewish people playing a mahjong, whatever the Chinese people. And really? Like, yeah, I, I, I think I never get mad when I, whenever I see like Asian girl with a Jewish guy, or whatever you know, because I think Jewish people and Asian people are very compatible in my opinion. You know, I, I well, because the hookers you buy are white, Yoshi. Well, <laughs> <laughs> true. Of course, you don't get mad. True. That's why we're platonic friends. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you like always like telling me like you know some of these hookers they don't know they should be charging more money but I always tell them afterwards like you know, you're so yeah. pretty you could be charging way more. I always thought that was so funny. And is that is that but that's after you give them the Groupon right? You say, oh, I a, I'm living social over here, yeah. girls. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I mean, I go to Europe a lot and, uh, you know, I'm on, like, drug issues. You know, like, Germany is big on, like, legalizing prostitution, you know, and um, I don't know if we're going to talk about prostitution and stuff. But yeah, but German women are so big. Are they really getting paid that? No, no. <laughs> but most of the prostitutes are not German. They're mostly Eastern European women. But you could, you could tell what's going on in each city based on how hookers are treated, in my opinion, you know. Um, and how they're true? What do you mean? Based on the laws, you mean like? Is that what you mean? Or? Yeah, um, like I work. I, I, I also I, do undercover police work. Yeah. I go in as a hooker when we're going on tour in our comedy shows. I, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking you would be very good at that. I don't know why. <laughs> is that bad? Is that is that wrong? I. When you said that, I was like, oh shit! I bet she's like. I bet she's oh, like you fucking. Need date tonight. Oh, no. oh, you come here, Mister. <laughs> I, 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 I help this organization. <laughs> it's the only podcast that you, yeah. you get a Manny and a Petty while you're, while you're doing it. It's amazing. 
Because I, I told you before before the show started, you know, this this T-shirt I'm wearing, Illegal Magazine. Yeah. Uh, my friend Mike Olson started the organization in Copenhagen. It's basically harm reduction business. And, uh, you know, you sell magazine, illegal magazines. You keep 40% of it, and you turn it around, you sell money to drugs. And they don't have to prostitute themselves or commit crimes. Well, Michael started making these. Uh, you know this public bath in L.A.? Or I don't know if you have in Miami, you put money, you could go use the public bath. Well, he he's building this capsule in Copenhagen where you could go and... It's a miniature brothel in the street. So hookers go, go in with a customer. And when you have a brothel, you have a less chance of, of hookers getting murdered. So you know, it's a little, it's a, I, and, it's a radical and idea. And raped, which sounds silly, but there are hookers who do get raped. What? Yeah. Wait, say that again? Yeah. There are hookers who get raped. Which, yes, of course. Well, yeah. this is what you were getting at. It's the same thing with the war on drugs. The attitude of America is we fix everything by criminalizing. It. Right. We fix everything by locking people up in cages, which is should be should be the antithesis of what the land of the free and the home of the brave right. would stand for. That should you, Americans shouldn't default to lock them up. Like That should not be the way America... It should be like, how do we perpetuate freedom? How do more Americans get more freedom? Well, how do we not break up these families if family values and the family unit sure. are so important to us? It's such a, it's such a priority. Like, and that's the problem. We just, so it's the... And, and it's, a, it's a total total case of denial and hypocrisy as well. It's like, oh, we'll just lock up all the hookers. We'll lock up all the drug dealers. We'll lock- but there's still hookers. There's still drugs. So yes. how do you realistically... Because it's like an intellectual exercise that they're doing yeah. over there, which is to say, okay, how do we make drug use safer for people who are struggling? Yeah, you could say, how are we going to protect them? How are we going to? But let's be realistic. We're not doing anything for them other than criminalizing them and putting into a... Which, by the way, the first thing you do when you go into, into prison is you get offered drugs. So if they can't keep the drugs out of prisons, how the hell are they supposed to keep them out of the, the big wide world? It's not, it's not possible. So this attitude of, of, of over-criminalization is, I think has been, distru- talking about de- deteriorating family values or deteriorating Absolutely. the morals or moral fiber of this country. The idea that like a kid acts out in the classroom and we t- send him right from school to jail is despicable. Like shame, shame on us. And I think last Bush president, I, I think his one or both of the daughter had a pill problem or like painkillers. Do, do you remember that? Jeb, Jeb Bush. Yeah. Jeb Bush's daughter. Oh, was it Jeb? It was Jeb okay, Bush's okay. daughter. Yeah. Had been arrested several. She's, she's an addict. Yeah. She's sick. I don't sit here and go, she's a degenerate. She should be in prison. She needs help. I don't, you know, I, I, and, and, but the values of that party would not help her. The, the values of the party would The real would question is, where did Jeb Bush meet a Mexican woman in Florida? <laughs> it's all oh, wait, she's not Cuban? Not in Florida. In oh. Mexico. Oh. Where he was studying and working uh, oh. there, yeah. Oh, she's mixed? I thought she was Cuban. Nobody's perfect, dude. Set down. <laughs> Asians are the most racist. You just proved it, Yoshi. So racist. <laughs> so how much time do you think Miami has before we're all underwater? Oh, not a lot, I hope. <laughs> I hope we're running out. I feel like swiftly. we're like, you know, people are going to look back at pictures of us in Miami being like, those were the days when Miami existed. And here's the thing about it, too, is that like we're a totally unessential city. Like if they lost Miami, it would be like, okay, we'll put a port in Jacksonville, I guess. Oh, we already have one. Right? You know, meaning like, my, they would nobody would want to rebuild like Miami. You know what I mean? Like if we had a Cat Five or Cat Four, if we have a direct hit by mm-hmm. even a, I think even a Cat Three, we would probably lose more real estate. I mean, I think we're in the top five with vulnerable waterfront real estate in the world. 
when it, you know, I know, when, and they and, keep just building more yeah. every day. And and that's the other thing too is that when they say, oh, this is the most expensive hurricane of all time, it's because in like 1920s there wasn't all these fucking high rises and con- right. It's like we build billions of dollars in real estate. We're going to put billions of dollars in real estate at risk now that we didn't have in the 1920s. So it's not so much the ferocity of the storm; it's that we are putting more shit in the path. Like we're put, make, we're creating more targets for these storms uh, to hit, and are going to thus. Thusly, displace more people uh, and revenue as a result. Since you live in, isn't there a perverted incentive to? Doesn't federal government give you money whenever there's a disaster? Dude, our politicians run on warped values and perverse incentives. In Miami, they measure progress by the number of construction cranes they can count on the on the horizon and the amount of public money that they can give to millionaire and billionaire real private real estate developers, sports team. Yes. owners and 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 charter schools like oh, we're totally fucked you know because we, we have i mean as you know in the state of florida the governor will not allow people in government who work for him in the executive branch that includes you know our environmental protection uh, uh people that includes everybody cannot use the term global warming climate change or sea level rise they are not allowed it is uh, it is it is a policy of the governor's office to basically like go at like you'll get fired for using the ter- like in an email for using the terms. No way. Yeah. yeah. Listen. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Google it. It's a fact. Jesus. Yeah. So, but, but here's the thing about like like let's use Michigan as an example. Like if you're going to be the governor yeah. of a state. You'd better know a little something about the biggest industry in the state. You know, like in Michigan, it's the cards, the automobile sure. manufacturing industry. So if you're going to get a governor there, like you want someone who's familiar with that. In Florida, if you're going to vote for a governor, you want the guy who was responsible for one of the largest Medicare frauds in the history of the United States because one of our biggest industries in Florida is Medicare fraud. So people get the government they deserve, and Florida is no exception. And the problem is, is that the longer you deny what we see every year in Miami Beach, the receding beach, the yeah. sand, the, and that's up and down the coast. Yeah, we have no, we are running out of beach in the beach state. So talk about a tourism problem, by the way. That is going. We have piles of dead fish. We have bright green, glowing swamp fucking creature, like you know, toxic <laughs> avenger algae in our waterways. Okay, just decimating the, so the you fishing don't go industry. In the ocean. I, I, you can't go in anywhere anymore unless you like I you know I I, I had an ex girlfriend she used to love to go to water parks she's like let's go to water parks I'm like why don't we just stay home and pee on each other at least that way we know where it's coming Esther from Esther loves you know, water like, parks she yeah. loves water parks let's just let's just stay, yeah like because like I don't want to sleep I don't want to bathe in everybody else's urine at least we just we would know where it was but coming did, from we did just, she grow up in an area where she was watching commercials of water parks on TV. Yeah, day. hell yeah. Because that's what happened to me. It's the American dream, baby. Yeah. The water park. Every summer there'd be commercials about Wisconsin Dells, but Ooh. my parents wouldn't let us go because my mom was like, oh, well, this kid died falling off of a water park ride. <laughs> and so as an, never ad- happens, as an yeah. adult, I take every opportunity I can to go to a water park. And I know that water's dirty, but who cares? <laughs> wow. Koreans in Wisconsin, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That was my band in high school. Uh, <laughs> Koreans in Wisconsin. Actually, Chicago, but the commercials they showed in right. Chicago we're, we're for, from, we're for from, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. So, yeah. so I was the first time I ever went to um, Indianapolis. So I flew in and I I was there on business for a few days, and I'm like, what a clean 
charming place this is. I'm looking around, the, the highways are clean. I said to the cab driver, I think of cab drivers like ambassadors to the city. Like they know where people go and what people do because they drive them there. So yeah. they like, have all the drugs and that, or the and, connections. <laughs> And they have all the drugs. And their numbers are right on the outside of their cars. So you know how to get in touch with them. But I said to the guy, I was like, so what do people do here? And he's like, well, Chicago is like three hours away. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, yeah, but I didn't fly into O'Hare. I flew into Indianapolis. Like, that's like flying into Miami. And like, what do you do here? It's like, well, Orlando's three hours away. It's like, no, what do I do here? They're like, well, we have the Indy 500. I'm like, that's in five months. I'm yeah. like, I'm here now for three days. Like, what do we, it was so bizarre. Like, so there's like you nothing. You could visit the empty track. <laughs> like, what the hell? I didn't know there was a water park in Wisconsin. I would have gone. Dude, you should have. <laughs> it's on the other side. You have to go through Illinois. But So what do you, um, I, I always talk about poo on my podcast. Sure. What does a Billy Corbin poo look like? Like P-U or P-O-O? P-O-O. P-O-O. Yeah. yeah uh, like what, shitting and if you have a crazy shit story what, that you'd like to share. It depends on what I eat. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, at the risk of saying. Sorry, I got to interrupt. You do amazing work, and I just think you guys could have this conversation. Why? Wait, I think it's important to have this conversation. I think it it's is a important. lot. I think it's a lot like talking about sex and things that like Americans yeah. that are taboo in America because like. It's something that, it, like, sex is something that either everybody does or wants to do, and yet it's like, ooh, we can't, we can't talk about this. And I think it's the same thing with pooing. It's like, why should that be so funny? It's or like such you a don't taboo? look at your toilet paper when you wipe your ass. Like, what color is it? We right. want to know, right? And then how do you, how do you know if you're clean if you're not looking at the toilet paper? Like, first of all, toilet. Let's talk about toilet paper for a moment. Um, I bring my own. I travel with, with my your own, own toilet, toilet paper. paper? Absolutely. Like a roll or a little packet? Like De- a No, no, with a travel. roll, depending on uh, how, how long my trip is. But I'm not going to wipe my ass with this sandpaper they give you at hotels and things. So I mean, what's like, your go-to toilet paper, Charmin? I mean, I'm like you. I care about what I put in my ass. You know what I mean? So I like, right? I, you you, you want to care. about Like, yes, I will. Uh, I'll, <laughs> do, I'll do the um, uh, Charmin like double ultra with aloe. Really? Um, yeah, they all. Yeah, they also have uh, the cottonelle with aloe. I grow aloe plants in my garden. That's all. Uh-huh. I, I would and I rub that directly on my butthole. It's like wiping your ass with a like with a cotton t-shirt with aloe on it. Like that's what it should be. That's what it should be like. And I have like some gastrointestinal issues, so I spend a not insignificant amount of time on the toilet. And so I take this very, this is a very serious issue. It's so, interesting. Places like China, when you go to public bath, they don't have toilet paper. You have to literally carry tissues with you. So I, how many rolls? Yeah, you must be traveling with a whole six pack. I was in China in December of 1990, and uh, we were doing a film there. And I, of course, first of all, there was no toilet seats. It would just be a hole in the ground. So right. my, my, you know, my, my fucking glutes, I was like, we were doing plies on top of the hole in the ground. And if you were lucky, someone would have... A toilet seat on a stand, like on like a stool. It right. have, no pun intended. It was a it was a toilet seat stool, and it had like four legs on it. And they would put it over on a on a toilet seat. They would put over the hole, and everywhere we went, we literally had like a roll of toilet paper in like in our jackets because it was a little cold in Shanghai that year. But everywhere we went, we had to bring toilet paper. It's strange because it's, it's a room with a bunch of holes, and you hover over it, and they they built great fucking wall of China, but they can't put a wall between. <laughs> China and China. You know what I mean? I, know, Is it, I noticed that when I went to Korea when I was 10. I don't want to shit next to another. I mean, women always walk into the bathroom together, but it's weird. How, can you shit next to a guy sitting sitting next to you? you know, but yeah, it's it's bizarre. But yeah, I guess here, you're right. When I, when I went to Shanghai, yeah. here's how racist Asians are. They all thought I was Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> They're all like, ni hao. I was like, no, anyang <laughs> haseo. 
So some of my listeners are uh, aspiring to be documentary filmmakers. What yeah. advice would you give for somebody who wants to make? You just had a good one. You just tweeted recently. That was a good advice. Oh, well, I would say, and I think that's probably true for any journalist or anybody, even or even a uh, you know someone who wants to be a narrative filmmaker. You know, do scripted work. I say, uh, find a good story and don't fuck it up. <laughs> that's a good one. If you start out with a good story, then theoretically you should you know it should be good so you just need to kind of either get out of its way about or Korean girl story. from Chicago grows up in a religious cult breaks out of it then becomes a stand-up comedian that's a good one it's a pretty solid story and that's <laughs> bit, not, not not only that though but you had a beginning a middle and end so it's already kind of like I already it's had structured. it all condensed yeah. in one sentence yeah too. it's already structured yeah it's great it's, you got the log line you got the pitch all, all, all no, good but, to go but when you're like okay so you're filming and filming tons and hours and hours of footage mm-hmm. like how much how uh, how involved are you in the editing process of your documentaries? Oh, I started As literally editor? in the chair editing our own documentary. Yeah, I, me and a co-editor would edit. You have edit to, right? Every, you, you have, have to, to edit your own. I, I think that's where documentaries are written is in post-production, is in oh. the editing room. So that's where you're really, now you can have an outline and you can have all sorts of shit, you know, written material going in, but it's really in the editing room that you're writing and crafting Do you still uh, edit story. all of your own documentaries? No, I can't. There's just too many projects now. Yeah. Uh, I don't sit in the chair. I mean, I used to, li- I mean, look at the credits. I would get, because cre- I would be co-editing every single Every single one of our projects, starting with our first doc, Raw Deal. Uh, oh, see, that's my problem. I don't read credits. As soon as the credits come on, I just like turn the TV out. off. Yeah, you're already smoking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I've been smoking. But uh, so, what documentaries are you working on now? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, what we're doing. I mean, then we'll, folks won't be able to see it until later in in, in the year. Well, later in, in 2017. But we're doing a. Um, a sequel to Dogfight, D-A-W-G. It's not a 30 for 30 about Michael Vick. I always have to remind people of that. D-A-W-G is how you spell it. Um, but that was our Netflix movie that, uh, that premiered last year. Um, and we're doing a sequel following some of the same people who survived uh, after the uh, first Were you shocked when he passed away this year, Kimbo Slice? Uh... Oh, yeah, because, you know, our do- uh, Dogfight 2 actually begins with that fight, with oh. Kimbo's last fight, with Dada 5000, who was the star of Dogfight yeah. 1, Dada, because of Dogfight 1, this is kind of a meta thing, at the end of our documentary, spoiler alert, Dada calls out Kimbo Slice from the ring at his second professional fight. Dada wins. He's 2-0, and and he's like, how many of y'all would like to see Dada 5000 fight Kimbo Slice? Because you know someone's going to sleep. And that's how the movie ends. Like, that's the last line in the movie. And so... Uh, Bellator saw the movie and and it started to generate a lot of social media uh, hype thanks in no small part to uh, you know to Opie and Jim and, and to Joe Rogan people just started talking a lot sure. about it and Bellator noticed and Bellator does that Bellator is a crowd pleaser you know that's a company that will like put together almost any fight whether they should or not and they put together this fight we all thought it would be in, in Florida but it winds up being in Texas, and I later came to understand they have slightly more lax uh, Which is like kind the of regulations. Mexican Florida, <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I always see a headline, a fucked up headline, and I'm like, if it's not Florida, it's Texas. Totally, te- you know, totally Texas. But like, but Dada and Kimbo had this fight, and I'm following Dada. I've been following him since last December. Wow. He does his turkey giveaway. In, in, in West Perrine, he gives away gifts every Christmas uh, and then trains to fight Kimbo Slice. Neither of them were very well trained or in good shape. If you saw that fight last February, it was like, it, it was looked really pathetic. Yeah. It looked uncomfortable. It looked pathetic. And then Dada drops dead in the ring from kidney failure. Isn't that the founder of Wawa? 
No, that's Dada's <laughs> not the founder. He's the founder of Backyard Brawls. That's that's yeah. that's Dada Wawa. I, I'm confused. Wawa all these, Dada. All these fighter yeah. names. <laughs> but he 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 basically died in the ring. Um, and was revived. His, he coded twice. His heart stopped twice. They brought him back. Um, he was on dialysis for months, and and then three four months later, it's nice. Uh, you know, passed. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't remember. It literally, how, like, about three four months later, yeah. you're exactly right. Kimbo Slice is dead, and I, we were like, "Holy shit, that was fucking Thunderdome. That was like a yeah. fight to the death." And in the end, Dada kind of quote unquote won it because he actually barely survived it, and Kimbo died, which just goes to show you they had no business being in the ring together with any kind of legit uh, professional fight. And so that's where the documentary starts. It starts with that. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. that story and then follows Dada in his efforts to recover and then legitimize his backyard brawl business into a real... Uh, into a real fight league called BYB, and 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 if he can pull off what he's trying to pull off, the documentary is going to be even crazier than what I just described sure. to you about about the beginning. So that's that'll be late 2017, early 2018, but also later this year we're doing a uh, six hour doc mini series called Cocaine Cowboys Los Muchachos, which wow. is about the largest and most successful uh, Cuban. Uh, cocaine traffickers in the history of the United States and uh, they had the largest cocaine trafficking indictment in the history of, of the Southern District of, of Florida wow. and uh, it's, it's like a, a sequel to your cocaine cowboys it's not a direct sequel in that like you'll, you won't recognize anybody you know any of the sort of characters or, or, or subjects from the first documentaries but it's a whole new kind of we'll call it more of a spinoff because it's not going to have a number it's just going to be cocaine cowboys los muchachos because that's what they were called they were called the boys or los muchachos and they were like local Cuban kids who had an extraordinary amount of respect and uh, uh, and 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 fame in the kind of Cuban. Well, I community. imagine Cubans would make great coke dealers because <laughs> no, they don't look so obviously Latino. They're not like so their skin isn't as dark. So yeah, some of them are. They're yeah. black Cubans though. Yeah, there are. So. Wait, it, I'm sorry. Did you say it's six parts or is it? Yeah, it's going to be a six part. Yeah, What's so network? Six, six one hours. I, I I can't say yet, but oh, okay. most of our work does wind up on Netflix and so much. So because that's the ideal place to binge something like that. And the Cocaine Cowboys titles have been up on Netflix oh, you I know, can't forever. Wait. And I can't you know, wait. I I find I think that I find like I first of all I I I do every once in a while I'll do this the Paul and Young Ron show on uh-huh. on on one hundred five point nine down here and and um I usually come in on Fridays, which is when the comedians come on to promote, like, you know, their gig at, at yep. the improv. And so, like, and I'm a degenerate fan of comedy, degenerate fan of comedy and comedians. And so, like, I always, it always turns out to be this, like, love fest because I find that all these incredibly amazing and cool comedians like you guys, like, like know my work and like my work. And I've theorized, and some comedians have told me, it's like, we're on the road. It's all about Netflix streaming on our on my iPad. So it's like I find your shit or someone recommend. I find like Netflix is like seems well, to be the I common also think denominator. A lot of comedians love documentaries because it's the truth. And as a comedian, you want to expose the truth and talk about shit that's real. So mm. I read more nonfiction than I do fiction yeah. because I'm drawn to what really is out there. And that's why we have so many hip hop fans of our docs too. It's all about keeping it real. Like that's where the com- That's where the art comes from. So that's interesting. That's what yeah. I meant to say that's cool and i think if you're a good stand-up comic you're good at telling stories and uh, sir you are one of the best in the business you know i put you in the three uh, trinity you don't have to call him sir well you know what i mean (laughs) ken burn alex gibney and you i mean i I love everything that you do you're just uh, outstanding storytellers and uh, we really appreciate what you do you know i mean i gotta say as much as i'm interested in the drug culture and things like that (laughs) that you 
the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, that that was incredible. I I, I, can't I love the I love the Burger King coupons. <laughs> that they, free tickets. Yeah, yeah, that's so wild. You to could me. you literally couldn't pay people to go to go to the games like in the in those days. But if I bought like a Whopper meal, I would still have gone to a sure. game. Why not? <laughs> well, what's funny about that? Let me tell you. So we're doing a um, we're doing a series, uh, a doc series uh, called "A Sunny Place for Shady People." It's about Florida fuckery. Uh, it's basically, I think you said it was like my my Twitter feed. You know, that's basically what it Which is. Which is amazing. Um, but it's not like Florida man. Yeah. It's a little bit loftier than that. Like a little bit more like people who deserve to get it, like corruption and like a little more powerful people than just like the guy making meth in the Walmart bathroom, you know, kind of guy. So so we needed to interview for the pilot um, a uh, a Colombian drug money launderer, and we needed to silhouette him. You know, so right. he's anonymous. You know, so and like more of you know, he has a little robot voice. We give him, you know, so so you don't you can't identify him. So I need to call him up, and I need to try to gain his. Tr- he's in Colombia at the time, so I need to gain his trust. So he'll let me, you know, fly him here and put him on camera, and he'll trust me. So I kind of, I kind of, I lead with Cocaine Cowboys. I'm like, I'm Billy Corbin. I directed Cocaine Cowboys. I'd like, and he seemed like kind of nonplussed about it. Like he was just like, uh huh, yeah, okay, and so we start, so we start talking, we start talking, and we have a, I, I think the conversation goes well, but he's a cool character, like he just, you know, he's not really showing his hand. He's like, okay, let me, you know, think about, it. I'll, call, I'll give you a call tomorrow, and okay, great. So next day rolls around, he calls me up, he goes, hey, hey, I said, he goes, you said your name's Billy Corbin, yes. He said, did you direct the you? I said yes. He goes, I love the you. He goes, oh my god, I'm a big. I was a big Dallas Cowboys fan, so I love Michael Irvin. And for a while, people thought Cocaine Cowboys was about Michael Irvin playing in Dallas. Uh, by the way, so so uh, he says he says he goes, I love the you. I'm like you. Ha-. I'm like I have to apologize for my racism. Like I talk. I'm talking to a Colombian drug money launderer. I thought I would lead with. Cocaine Cowboys. And he goes, oh yeah, everybody's seen that, but you made the you. Like he was so, I'm like, how do you, have, like you guys even like are into American football in, in Colombia? He's like, oh my God, they show it on ESP, whatever channel they have. He was so excited about the, so I, I thought that was very funny that like I thought that Cocaine Cowboys was going to yeah. be my in with him, but it turned out to be our like, it's so weird. Like, so this thing about Miami is like, and we make like kind of Miami centric docs and Floridiana, like, you know, it's such an international city. Yes. That like, that that our shit just travels well. Like it's like people know Miami all over the world. So when you make a quote local doc, it's not provincial. You know, it it it, it seems to have legs, and people are interested in the crazy shit that <laughs> that happens uh, and the and the crazy history down here. And for me, I feel it's really important to preserve because we have a transient population and a total lack of institutional memory. This is why we're sort of doomed to repeat our mistakes. We're like a tropical mistakes. Las Vegas or something. Absolutely. Total, total Casablanca. Like, it's just, yeah. I, you know, I always say, and you probably heard me say this before, that like LA is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami is where you go when you want to be somebody else. Ah, or you know, fix your credit. That's a good one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. exactly. You want to be somebody. You want to have somebody else's credit. Is what is what you want to have. But but that's true of all of Florida. It's yeah. always been a sunny place for shady people. It's no coincidence, as Edna Buchanan says in Cocaine Cowboys, that like the majority, like not even a lot, but like the majority practically of fugitives on America's Most Wanted get caught in Florida. It's like, it's the end of the line. It's like, if you run anywhere long enough or far like enough. when I go to the post office, I look everybody in the eye. Yeah. And, and then you look at the, and then you look at the wanted signs on the, uh, on the bulletin board. You're like, which one And then I got my this? Google glasses on and I snap a picture. Like, I think I saw <laughs> the guy you wanted. True story. I was dating a girl in co- when I was in college at UM, I was dating a girl who went to UCF. So I would drive to Orlando 
drop like middle of the night, drop of the hat, I would just jump in the car and hit the turnpike, right? So on the turnpike, they have these rest stops, you know, and this is back in the mid to late 90s. I, I, I don't have any photographic evidence. You know, we didn't have cameras on our, on our cell phones back then, really. But like, I, I, I wish I had the evidence of this. But in the turnpike rest stops on the Florida turnpike, you, uh, they had these basically vending machines, we'll call them. They looked like arcade games. You know, they were like six feet tall. They had a monitor, you know, built in. And then they had a QWERTY keyboard and then a printer underneath it. And what you could do there was you could customize your own business cards, stationery, envelopes, letterhead, etc. At a rest stop? At a rest. So literally driving down the state of Florida, you could be Anybody what? you want, because in those days too, and not you have a business card. It's like, oh, it's like fucking American Psycho. It's like, oh, you're bi-. like you <laughs> like you were a real person if you had a business card, because like nobody could just sort of like do like so you could cr- literally reinvent yourself. How old were you when you first created your own business card? <laughs> uh, Fifteen. Fifteen. We we started my producing partners and I, who are still partners to this day, Alfred Spellman and David Sipkin. We started our first That's company. Actually, my demographic is young fifteen-year-old boys. <laughs> so you guys, listen here. If you want to be successful like Billy Corbin, all right, you got to get yourself print out of a business card, and you could do yes. that super easy. Or if you, you had the true measure of success, masturbating with with Koo here. <laughs> you want to you want you, to quote Hamilton. You want to be in the room where it happens. That this is how you do it. <laughs> Yoshi just came back from Orlando last night, and I should have asked you to bring me a Giordano's pizza. They have a deep dish. <laughs> I don't Chicago, know what that is. Chicago. It's a Chicago deep dish pizza restaurant, and they have one in Orlando. It's a chain that they have. Yeah, they do. I is see. it on I Drive? Where's your? Uh, I'm trying to think of. I, I I know I've seen the. I forget. The sign it's, there. It's off the beaten path, but uh, I found it when, last time I went to Orlando, and I should have made you bring me a pizza. Orlando, did you lose a bet, or you had a gig? I was visiting a friend, and oh. we went to Pulse nightclub, kind of Quote, show. Unquote, oh, yeah, show, now like a memorial, right? Memorial, yeah. And um, um, whenever I'm traveling, like, I, I went to Paris early in the year, too. And, of course, um, I went to uh, Batacon nightclub and mm. Charlie Hebdo and places like that. And we see more and more of this kind of stuff happening. I don't, I don't know. Such and, a fucking macabre tourist you are. Yeah, well, I don't, do you think. He's also an undertaker part-time. <laughs> Do Everybody, th- everybody's got to have a hobby. Do you <laughs> think? Day job. Do you think people are more angry these days, or because we have social media, so it's it's easier to spread that news in the world? I mean, what what do you? It's think? also easier to spread hate in the world and misinformation in the world. Everybody thought that like interconnectivity uh, was going to shrink the world in a positive way, or at least. improve communications in a way that like oh now everybody should be better informed we're better connected you have easier access to information information used to be a real commodity now misinformation is a commodity it's like you know you used to have to be somebody in the know now everybody can be in the know but we all just kind of disappear into our own social media silo and echo chamber where we just get the information that reinforces our own our own beliefs and prejudices absolutely so like it became a really scary scary place like they're like for a while like like i like at like post-election i had to kind of stop watching the news and yeah. stop i stopped like going on twitter not really stuff but like no, i stopped going, i stopped going to the mentions <laughs> i stopped going to the mentions oh, yeah that's where i stopped i would still which is a bummer for me because my my you know i proselytize that like social media is not a monologue it's a conversation that's the important thing about i think about being a public figure now is that when we were kids well when i was a kid you're i'm, I'm older than you guys but when i was a kid no, 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 I'm, I'm way older than you. Are you? I'm awesome. 47. When you were a kid. <laughs> when you, oh, you, well, you look, you Asian people. 
You you like what do you sleep I'm, in Tupperware? I'm like you look you look great. You guys. I was like, what do you what do you do? What do you do? That's crazy. I never would have I would have had to fucking saw you in half and count the rings to find out how old you are. That's but crazy. with Asian people, once great. we hit like sixty, then we just age thirty years or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like happens? a raisin or something, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you're a grape until you're sixty, is that? And then you and then you go full raisin. Is That's that what, what I, at least it works for my family. But yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> can, can, can I? I mean, I'm, and we uh, also have great hair, except for our pubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, which you'll find out in a moment, boys and girls. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You, you mentioned something before, and I, I want to make sure. Um, the Russians were supposedly uh, sending false news, you yes. know, to, making the Clinton look and scary. hacked the Democrat and then hacked the DNC. I mean, right? And 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 Trump got away with it. Can you imagine eight years ago when Obama's running and uh, Saudi Arabia wanted his and they were spreading terrible Dude. news about his opponent? He couldn't he couldn't possibly get away with it. Dude. It's so treasonous what's been going on. First of all, I, and I tweeted about this. I was like, I was like. People were saying that Barack Obama was a Muslim Kenyan Manchurian candidate, that we were going to, like, you know, install this terrorist into the White House who is suddenly going to be this sleeper cell that gets activated. But we just let the Russians and the FBI elect the president of the United States, essentially. I mean, that really just happened. I know people think that sounds paranoid, but that really did just happen. And the same people, and the same people who accuse Hillary of all this crazy shit and accuse Barack Obama of all this crazy shit just voted for a guy who the Russians and the FBI, the Russians not only had a state mandated and perpetuated effort to spread propaganda and false information to influence an American election. They hacked the Democrats and spread real, that was real information, but let's be fair, they spread real information in an effort to to, to be detrimental to the Democratic candidate. And then the head of the FBI came out, what, 10, 11 days before the election and said, on second thought about that email thing. And there was incredibly, inexplicably, a lot of undecided voters up until the bitter end of the of this uh, uh, of this contest, and so every little thing really did chip away at the support of well, except for except for Teflon Don. I mean, Don, there was nothing Donald. Remember when he said when Donald Trump said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, yeah. and I would still get the same number of votes. He was absolutely right when he when when he said that. So like, but everything that that was done chiseled away. At the swing voters, at the independent voters, certainly in the swing states for support of Hillary. And that was absolutely perpetuated by the Russians and the FBI. Now what? Now what do those people say who said, who were accused Barack Obama? You know who's friends with the Russians and the FBI is Burt Kreischer. Oh, yes. Yes. The machine, he, he like he like helped out the, the Russian machine, FBI. The machine, the no, Russian, he helped out the oh, Russian, Russian mob. Mafia. It was the Russian mob. It's all Bert's fault. <laughs> Speaking of him, the two of our favorite fat white comedians, um, <laughs> Bert is performing Tampa Bay okay, this there's weekend. There's a lot of comedians fatter than Bert. All right, he's not that fat. And Tom Segura, Tom Segura's performed West, West Palm Beach in the same week. In the but same, Ralphie Mae's yeah. fatter than both of them. Well, I don't all think right. he's in Florida this week. That's <laughs> otherwise we'd sink right into the ocean. That would really actually sea level rise. Oh, I love you, Ralphie. That's really why they closed down the improv. In Coral Gables. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, uh, Coconut Grove. You were clo- oh, it was, Coconut, in, same it thing. was in Coconut Grove. I love Ralphie, man. I love Tom, and I and I love B- Bert. Was like the the, the Bert experience. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I'm going on Bert's podcast. You are? And so no, I was like oh. months ago. He says I'm in Miami. I'm at the Improv. Like come, not Miami, but the Hollywood Fort Lauderdale yeah. Improv. You know, at the Seminole Hard Rock. And so he says, uh, come to my hotel room at the Hard Rock and let's do the podcast. 
So I come at the time. <laughs> And you can't even get upstairs without like a room key or you can't even yeah. like press the So I'm downstairs. First of all, I don't even know what room he's in. I can't get him on the phone. <laughs> I can't. It's probably like in the afternoon too, right? Like I'm standing there and like we're going to do it like, you know, a couple hours before a show or whatever. I'm standing in the fucking lobby. He's not answering his cell phone. He's not a, like I'm standing for forever and ever. He finally, I woke him up. I woke this guy up. He was asleep. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. Of course, I was like fast asleep. You had to tell the hotel concierge call him. Oh, I did. Call I, his we were room. Call, but nothing happened. Like we call. I did everything you would think of to do in that situation. I could not. And we finally go. And he like is so portable. Like his podcast, like you. Like it's just like you could do this. He opens up a little bag and it's like Mike's <laughs> mixer. Yeah. Like let's. And we're sitting in his hotel room. It was. It was. It was all. Once he woke up, it was awesome. And then Nick Novicki came out of a duffel bag. <laughs> he was a sound engineer. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing my podcast. Uh, follow Billy Corbin on Twitter, you guys, and at it's, Billy Corbin. But you got to spell C-O-R-B-E-N. I'm not the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. So if you want to give me shit for like some TNA impact wrestling shit, it's at Billy to get Billy Corgan. I'm, I'm, it's some, for some reason when people start typing in it, like defaults to my name. Oh, shit. And people like send me tweets all the time about like, TNA wrestling, you need to take it over and it sucks. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but like, but it's, it's, they're looking for, for Corrigan. And I just realized. Are I, you a Smashing Pumpkins fan? Of course I'm a Smashing Pumpkins fan. <laughs> oh yeah, did, well, you should forward all these tweets and be like, I, I deserve do. a free ticket. And how did he get at Billy? How did he get that handle? Like, was he like an early investor, like early adopter, obviously, to like Twitter that he got at? Wow. And for a while he said, I want to be known now as William Corgan. So I hit him up. I'm like, can I get at Billy? <laughs> like, can I, can I take over the at? Because what a great fucking. Yeah, what a great. Christmas present that would be for a Jew. Speaking of which, <laughs> I, just, I just realized, and I feel really terrible about it. I admired, of course, your, your beautiful slippers, when I, your Eeyore slippers when I, when I came in. Oh, these are an homage to Dave, uh, Dave Jusko. Well, I just realized that I'm the asshole who didn't take his shoes off in your traditional Asian home. I, re- <laughs> I realized, you know, she doesn't have his shoes on, and I looked by the door, and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't. You should That's have told okay. me, like a TSA, you like, kick them shoes off. Ah! Kick them Maybe shoes I off. should have a TSA sign at the door. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I feel terrible. Don't, I, don't I even... marched through your house with my dirty Sanooks. No, the, the the reason I wear these slippers is because this floor is already dirty from people coming over. So uh, so it's already dirty. It's not like I just mopped it. I apologize week, and thank so. you for having me. So no. Um, so thank you so much for doing my podcast, uh, Yoshi and Billy. Can I? Can, uh, sorry, I, I don't want to prolong. Go, go, yeah, whenever I have friends visiting from overseas, if they if they really want to learn. Anything in America, study our sports because it t- it say a lot about our, our, us. And you know, if you haven't watched the U, you know, you learn about ambition, ruthlessness, and you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Jimmy Johnson, and I always call him the FDR of uh, uh, <laughs> sports because he but was so hair. devious with better hair, though. Yes, than FDR. Yeah, but uh, thank you. But I, I, mean, I, th- I think you're right when you look at uh, you know the NFL, which is like. What like almost seventy percent, sixty seven, sixty eight percent black? Yeah. You look at the NBA, which is eighty, nearly eighty percent black, and then you look at the owners of the teams and the coaches of the teams and the front offices of those teams. I think you're right. I think our sports say a lot about the government and a lot about who our workforce is and who sure. really, who really builds yeah, the our country. Is sexist as hell. I mean, yeah. like who, nobody goes to WNBA games. Who builds? <laughs> who builds the country? And who benefits from it? I think you're absolutely right. If you look at the hierarchy of professional sports or amateur yeah. sports for that, quote unquote, amateur sports like college, like the NCAA is in a multi-billion dollar corporation. 
nonprofit, you know, you know, to help the kids. Um, but like, I think you're absolutely right. The politics of sports, the business of sports, the makeup of sports, the the social. You know the kind of the social injustice of sports yeah. it says a lot about the country. Absolutely, because baseball represents our idealism. You you sacrifice for the team, and the basketball represents how flashy and cool and popular America is. But if you really want an American character, it's football because we love violence in this country. And you know, I I just can't get enough football. You know, even with all the head trauma and things like that, I can't quit the football. I mean, I know it's terrible for for people, but it's. it's- it's chess with gladiators. Yeah. That's why it feeds kind of both of our kind of, uh, you know, uh, our, our desires, Americans, for the violence, but also for to, to say, oh, there's some level of kind of planning and sophistication and plotting yes. that goes into this kind of three-dimensional violent chess game. And like, that's, that's America, baby. Yeah, absolutely it is. And uh, thank you for doing oh, that. Don't call him baby. He'll get another boner <laughs> when I told him you're coming over. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> And Esther, thank you for putting me uh, on the show because I'm, I've been a huge fan of yours. And uh, man, my, everyone at the Illegal Magazine, we were, we were just um, just so happy. To, to Can get we get to a picture you. with you? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you guys so much. Follow Yoshi on Twitter at Yoshi Obayashi. And you got your podcast. Yoshi uh, didn't. Yes, I'm ending next <laughs> month. But uh, yeah. You I always ha- say you're ending it. And then <laughs> no, no, no. You always I'll- say you want to be a guest on my podcast. But you should uh, think about how you can increase listenership by saying this is the last ever episode yeah. of oh, yeah. Okay, you guys. It's like you're going out of You know those well, businesses they are always having you going out I have Russell Peters on, then I'm done. Seriously. All right, you guys. This is the last episode. Thanks for tuning in. It's been fucking real. Uh, Thanks, great. sister. It's been great knowing you. All right. So thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys next week. So I just got a text message. Oh, I see. Who do you think it is? Bert Kreischer? <laughs> uh, speaking of fat white guys. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they're malicious. That's what they call... They're, they're, you know that. Tom, Segura, and... I know. Bert, they're calling each other fat, so I'm just... I'm, Bert, Bert is amazing because, you know, his latest special on Showtime, I watched it. It's very funny. But he takes his shirt off, and that's a one confident... Man, because if I had a body like that, I could not be confident, you know, showing my... Is it confidence or is it a need for attention? <laughs> Maybe a little like, bit of both. No, it's never confidence. Do we do something because we're confident? No. Comedians aren't confident. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Look, we need to um, wipe up wipe up this coffee table. Oh, water? Sorry. Yeah. This is like... Uh, Leave a stain? Yeah. That's why, like... Um, after Billy got up, yeah. I lifted his cup and I noticed that there was like a ring on my coffee table. Oh, you want to pause for a second or? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's pause. Okay. Billy apologized for wearing shoes in my house, but really I wanted to yell at him for not using a coaster. Although to, uh, <laughs> there was an extra to be fair, to be fair, there wasn't a coaster here. Yeah. So I should make them more readily available. Well, Esther, thanks for uh, put me on the show because that, that was really fun meeting him. He's exactly, uh, I thought exactly he was going to be engaging, charming, great storyteller, very open to um, different ideas. And uh, he's he's good at talking about very, you know, he did dodge big ideas to uh, dumb ideas. You know, like it's very fun to talk to. 
He did dodge my "What does a Billy Corbin poo look like?" question. Yeah. He wanted to keep things more general. <laughs> so, um, so thanks for doing because uh, if it was yeah, no, I was I you know I was going to have him on anyway, and yeah. you coming into town was a perfect excuse to set it up. As much as you're happy that I set it up, I'm yeah. happy that you were here with me. Okay, thanks. You know, because it just made it fun and like. That's it, why it, it was a fun conversation, you know. It's it's like you know how you have a musket; you have it takes time to set it up. So while you were telling him a funny story, and he was laughing. I was just getting ready for my uh, topic. I want to bring it up to conversation. It was going back and forth, and it was a really fun conversation from beginning to end. And it, it, it's very fun, and informative. I thought. You know what? I also felt bad, like cutting him off. I felt like I should have asked him, "Hey." Do you have any place to go? Like, yeah. you know, because he wanted to keep talking, talking, talking. Sure. And so... Um, How long was it anyway? I can't remember. It was an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. That was so much fun. And uh, you're going to introduce me to Tom Segura tonight. Yes. And you may, my friend Ryan, who will take care of you and your family at... Uh, uh, I think you have access to Universal City Walk and a couple other places. And... Yeah, you should check out my... That'd be awesome. Yeah. He took me to the Harry Potter thing, you know. I mean, I never read the books, but I enjoy the movies. And because he works he's, he works behind, you know... Behind the scenes. Behind the scene when he fixed those robotics. So, yeah, it, it was fun. And he's just somebody who sort of started out as a fan of yours and contacted you for his podcast? Uh I guess so. I mean, he he's he he was trying to do stand up like ten years ago, and he started interviewing comedians visiting Orlando. So he was contacting a bunch of people. I mean, I don't know why he picked me, but he interviewed um, I, um, Tom Rhodes. He used to work on Tom Rhodes' podcast early on too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, All right. So if any of you guys work behind the scenes at any water park or amusement park, <laughs> yeah. contact me and uh, let me know. You could give me a tour of the behind the scenes of your park. It's fun because he he will. Pinpoint things I didn't even notice. I mean, after he told like it's so obvious, but you know, if you're going to one of those parks, you don't notice it, and he will give you the same tour. He went into his locker room, got his own magical wand. You walk around with your wand and, and pinpoint stuff. It, it does stuff right in front of you. Well, when I went to Harry Potter, we did that too. Oh, did you already do that? See, I didn't know any of it. You know, I, I was just planning to kind of hang out with yeah, him. Yeah, he probably just told you it was VIP area and it yeah. was just regular area. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said there were like these hidden cameras all over. Yeah, the train that you take from one park to another for the Harry Potter. Um, I think he was telling us this one story where a guy said something about, Hey, is there possible if, we, if I get one of the rooms in the train, just myself and my girlfriend, I'm going to propose to her? Oh, they said, sure, no problem. What he didn't know was every one of those rooms have a camera. So they were watching, like, they were expecting, like, oh, this is a really sweet proposal. Next thing you know, he's standing up, pull his pants down, and, and his girlfriend's giving him a blowjob in that room. Right. right. He so. was like, why is she on her knees? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So yeah, Orlando was great, and, and it just shows how much I miss Florida. I think I haven't been here in like eight, nine years. It's such a interesting state. I mean, Ryan was show me Ryan was show me places like in uh, um, Orlando. Like he'll talk, take me to this back alley and this area that tourists won't go. And he showed me this one um, road, two lane road, kind of semi private area with 
bunch of cars parked on each side. I asked, like, what's the big deal about this? That was the runway that they used to use when Walt Disney used to fly into Orlando. Oh, wow. And what's that thing on the um, freeway road? They have a, uh, like, a, you know, they don't want you to fall asleep. So if you drive through those lines, the tire makes a loud sound. You know what I'm talking about? It has, a, like, a... Oh, yeah, to wake you up? Yeah. Those grooves. Grooves. They have grooves in that street. When you drive over it, it plays Walt Disney's <gasps> music. Wow, that's so cool. See, and how would I know that if I was hanging out with a regular tourist group, you know? But Ryan was trying to drive me around about the hint, history of a hidden entertainment in Orlando. So that, I, I wasn't really expecting that. So that was really fun. He even showed me like things like, this is where this lady got her hands bitten off by an alligator. And he drove me to where that kid got murdered, killed by a crocodile. Early you morning. love visiting all these places where people get murdered. Yeah, killed. I guess murder is not right when the animal attacks them. But yeah, um, so Ryan was fantastic. I don't know. Is it murder if you ask vegans? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, vegans want to treat animals like they're humans. Yeah. That's why I'm only a part-time vegan. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> Because the thing is, if we're going to treat them like they have consciousness and all this stuff and feelings and emotions, which many of them do. Yeah. So if an alligator does eat a child, shouldn't that alligator be tried? <sighs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're feeling about those kinds of people, though. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful to animals and be mean to them, but I do want to eat them. You know, I don't want to be extra cruel. Right. But, but, For uh, me, it's not like, oh, I want to eat them. It's just that I I was raised eating them. Yeah. And they're too delicious to stop eating. And so it's really weird for if, Asian if people I was, not eating meat. That's if I was weird. raised not a meat eater, then I probably wouldn't ever want to eat meat. It's just hard to nip something, in, nip something in the bud. Nibble something in the bud. Nibble something in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't know how to enjoy Korean food without meat in it. It's just oh my god, I know. Impossible. Was it? Well, I guess I could just only do you eat, eat more Korean tofu. But. Do you eat more Korean food or Japanese food? Uh, Korean because that's cheaper and easier to make than Japanese. I think. Oh really? Japanese food costs more money for sure. If you spend thirty dollars in Japanese food versus oh. Korean food, I think you you get more bargain with Korean food. I believe that. I'm going to learn how to make more Korean food because I make like more American and Mexican food than I do Korean food. I want to learn how to make more Korean stuff. Well, you could look at those YouTube clips. You know, when I was locked up and I was hungry, losing weight, all I did every night was surfing and watching cooking show. Oh, isn't that torturing yourself? I know, but like it it is torturing. But but it's the same thing when the horny guys watch porn. It's not doing you any good. It's making you frustrated, but you still want to watch it. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I saw this Korean lady. She has a cookbook, but she was so good teaching how to make sundubu with that stuff with tofu and you know. Yeah, that broth. stuff's complicated to make. Yeah, and she teaches step by step. It, it was really good. I also missed that. I don't know what you call that Korean food. It's 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 a raw crab. Oh my god, it's so delicious with that. Um, I don't eat that sauce. It's so. I've good. I've made kalbi before. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. You you like dip it in brown sugar. Yeah. So and, good. and I think they put something with apple slices in there too to give the natural or Asian pear. Yeah, the, the sweetness to it. Yeah, it's sweet meat. Um. Yeah. So 
But Billy Corbin, if you guys haven't watched any of his movies, you should. And you don't have to be a sports fan to watch it. It's just a great story. You know, I don't know, I don't know what was your favorite one, but um, man, the, the U, the Miami Hurricanes, um, I love it. Yeah, no, they were all great. I've seen the U, I've seen Cocaine Cowboys, and I've seen Broke. Broke. Yeah. Uh, they were all they were all super fascinating stories. Um, because the U is so big in Miami now, and everybody sports a jersey, a t-shirt, yeah. a, a hat, and bumper stickers all over. And you live here, here too, so it's it's like. And uh, I, d- I did a show at UM too. Oh, did you? Oh, oh my god, it is the fanciest campus I've ever been to. Wait, uh, maybe I got it. It's private school, right? Yeah, it's a private school. I think it costs like it's got to cost over forty thousand a year, and it is. Re- Ridiculous. They have valet parking. And I've performed in a lot of colleges throughout the whole country. Yeah. I've gone to like rich places, poor places. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. The campus is like a resort with beautiful like landscaping, little hills and grassy knolls and fountains. And they have a lot of money. And everybody, you know, follows UM football now. But it was interesting to see back then that it was nothing. That people were like, had to be bribed to go. Yeah. To go to a game. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly things turn around for better and worse. <laughs> for the worse. January 20th, 2017, everything's going to go to shit. Yeah. I hope it doesn't, but I don't know. But yeah, um, I can't wait till you interview him again. I, I, I think this you should do a couple of times a year, very late. If, I mean, if it's available but and you know uh, off air we were talking to him a little bit before and afterwards man a little bit we would talk to him more off air than we did on air (laughs) i think you're right i feel i feel like i deprived my listeners of like great conversation that happened afterwards yeah and he's very honest and open and we'll ask him some of the show business questions and it's not something we could share on air but it was fun hearing from his perspective like wow you know yeah fantastic um and i gave him a bunch of key limes and he said his wife is gonna make me a pie a key lime pie i'm so happy we were able to do this while you were here and uh what else about billy corbin well he's got a bunch of new stuff i think he says well i'm not sure what you could talk about so i'm not sure but he has a lot of exciting work for 2017 uh, he's uh, he. There's a lot of people uh, demanding his product and service. So, yeah, he's 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 doing really well. Oh, he was saying that he loved working. He loves working with Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And Russell Peters told me too. He loves working with Netflix. And let's be honest, they had they reached what sixty, seventy countries of the world. So you can have fan base everywhere. Yeah, Netflix is amazing. They don't like meddle with your stuff. I heard FX is good too. They basically. Let artists do whatever you want. You hand it in, and they don't do anything. Um, so yeah. that's another good net, network. If you ever decide to do something with them, I also heard Amazon's good too. So, but this is good. I hope I hope you do something with Billy. I think you guys be perfect. Cool. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, come out to my show New Year's Eve. I will be at Florida Comedy Club. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, New Year's Eve, two shows, seven and nine o'clock headlining yours truly so come on out if you're going to be in the south florida area all right 
Thank you guys so much and Thanks. listen to Yoshi Didn't podcast. Yeah, I just did the second to last. I released it last week and I had to do episode 150, then they're done. It just depends when I get Russell Peters. His schedules are really, you know, busy. So, but yeah, thanks. Yeah, rich people's schedules are usually busy. <laughs> um, and oh, then- oh, and, and uh, uh, I'm starting one called Illegal Podcast for Illegal Magazines. I don't know when I'll be releasing, but I'd love to have you on the show. And it's all things retaining to uh, drug culture and stuff. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So it's all about my life. Okay, cool. Thank you, guys. Bye.